This morning's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 34. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, we turn again to this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, such a wonderful message of hope in a world of death and decay. Would you help us understand it rightly? Uh, um, following that, would we wake up and live rightly in accordance with the truth that is here? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all of a sudden in our um, all of a sudden in our strange lockdown world, uh, spirituality has become a little more popular. People, I think, want something to help them get by. They want a little leg up, um, a little assistance. And so I read that uh, Buddhist meditation has become a little more popular uh, with some. Astrology uh, making a comeback. Not since the 1970s, apparently, has astrology been so uh, popular. Amazon even has uh, sent out its sort of elite prime members 
uh, some shopping horoscopes. I imagine that is you need to buy more, but let's not be super cynical uh, about that. But people, I think when normal sources of security drop away, investments, pensions, jobs, the normal structures of life, when life is out of control, people want to grasp hold of something and, and something beyond this world, something to give them a boost, a little assistance to get through this crisis, I think has an enormous appeal. Maybe that's why you're watching here this morning. But if that is you, I've got to be honest and say that this passage is not what you want to hear. Because in it, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, says, look, I've just got to present this to you. It's binary. Either there is a physical, bodily resurrection of people after they've died to go and be with Jesus in a new creation. And it's the most wonderful news you've ever heard. Or it's all a bunch of twaddle and disregard Christianity 100 percent. It's binary. There's no middle ground, no ground of, well, I quite like some elements of Christianity. I, I, I like the idea of there being a sort of God and him, him sort of helping me. No. Either there's a future resurrection, bodily, in the new creation, or it's all twaddle. It's one or the other. Naturally, he's going to say it's true. And the application, we'll see, well, by the time we get to the end, the application, it comes really down in verse 34. The application is this. Sober up. You need to come to your senses. You need to wake up, recognise that this is true and live in accordance with what is true here. We'll work through it. There's a negative, positive and then the implications, OK? So the negative is uh, verses 12 to 19 of chapter 15. If Christ was not raised... Your faith is useless. But, verses 20 to 28, Christ was raised, so resurrection is guaranteed. And the implication comes, verses 29 to 34, sober up. Sober up and live for eternity. Let's work through it. First then, in verses 12 to 19, if Christ was not raised, your faith is useless. Verse 12, uh, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, we can't be absolutely clear, uh, listing just on one end of the conversation, as Paul writes instead, but it seems as if uh, the Corinthians are content with the idea of Jesus being raised, but don't really think it has a massive impact upon them, not bodily. So uh, another, late, another letter that Paul writes uh, a number of years later to uh, Timothy. To Timothy, he's critical of some who say that the resurrection has already happened here and now. Sort of Belinda Carlisle, heaven is a place on earth philosophy. Uh, that yeah, Jesus rose and he has an impact upon me. He's, Jesus has risen in my heart. And so this life now is a little bit better. Now I know him. It's as good as it gets here and now. There's no physical future. It seems to be that sort of teaching that he's attacking. And Paul says, look, your position is absolutely untenable. The resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus and that of believers is identical. It's the same type. You can't pull them apart. Uh, you can't, this is a bit daft, but you can't say, well, look, in this world, babies, where do babies come from? 
Well, some come from a mother's womb, and that's how they enter the world. And some are delivered from a stork that just sort of floats down and delivers a stork in a nappy. Obviously, obviously it's ridiculous. But you can't say there are two different ways of babies arriving. One via the womb and the other teleported down from a spaceship, whatever it may be. No, no they're all the same. And Paul's saying that the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of believers, it's the same thing, the same type, the same physicality. What he has done, believers will also do. And he says, if that's not the case, well, a whole number of things follow here, the negative implications. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, one, our preaching is useless. What a waste of time. Two, so is your faith. Sorry about that. Three. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he didn't raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. So we're a bunch of liars. Me and the other apostles and the 500-odd witnesses who saw Jesus after he'd risen from the dead were all liars. That's uh, another. Four. Uh, verse 16. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So that wasn't true. Five. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Oh, he's raised. He's not paid off for all you've done wrong. He's not atoned for your sins, paid for your sins, wiped away your sins, your crimes, your mistakes, your errors, all that you've done wrong in life. And you're still guilty and you're not forgiven. And then lastly, verse 18, the sixth little implication. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those who have died, you'll never see them again. Just gone. Well, it's all a bit negative, isn't it? You might say, well, yeah. Yeah, because Paul's saying, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, all of that. In fact, his conclusion is very strong by the time you get to verse 19. Uh, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all, excuse me, we are of all people most to be pitied. You might think, bit strong. Um, I mean, if it's only for this life as a Christian, there's a joy, isn't there? There's a, there's a peace. There's a sense of purpose and, and meaning, a, a lessening of anxiety, trusting in God as Father. Yeah, I think all those things are true. But certainly for the early church in the first century, following Christ meant torture, imprisonment, death. Well, if you're enduring all that, for something which is a lie, well, you're a shadow, he says, or you are to be pitied. Faith, a Christian faith, without the supernatural, without a belief in supernatural resurrection, is twaddle, is pitiable, is contemptible, Paul is saying here. Oh, but it's a nice moral code to live by. Paul is having none of that. He says, no, no. If Christ was not raised, your faith is futile. Of course, even before we move on to the more positive bit, all those negatives that he said, you can turn them all into positives. Christians are not to be pitied. Actually, they're to be envied because of the future hope that we have. Christians are not lost, but they're saved. Christians are not still in their sins. We know absolute forgiveness and the freedom in our consciences that that gives us. Christians are not those who have hope just for now. We have eternal hope. 
and that changes everything. So there's the first. If Christ was not raised, your faith is useless. But, but verse 20, Christ was raised, so resurrection is guaranteed. Chapter 15 and verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits, some will know that's an agricultural term. Uh, the first flawless crops that come at the beginning of a season, guaranteeing that there is more to come. And so here Paul says, Jesus, yeah, he's Lord uh, and he's saviour, but he's also the ideal representative. What happens to him happens to all who believe in him. The illustration is often used of a, a footballer. Remember football? It used to happen on telly and in stadiums and even in the park, not anymore. Um, but you know that someone scores a goal and half the crowd goes, we've scored. What happens to the one happens to the many. Or uh, many of us live in the world of Zoom or Google Hangout or whatever it may be at the moment. Uh, but certainly in the world of Zoom, whatever the host does occurs or happens to us. So if the host shows a video on their screen, we see a video on our screen. If they show a picture on their screen, we see a picture on our screen. If the host uh, changes the name, of all those who are attending the meeting into funny uh, nicknames, we see them on their own screen. That's my favourite thing to do at the moment. There's not a lot to keep us entertained. Changing people's names it tickles my fancy. Uh, I'm sorry if I've done that to you. But you get the point. What happens to the representative happens to them all. Or in Paul's, to be honest, better analogy. The first fruits of a crop, they come before everything else comes. But they are the same type. Lovely first grapes, lovely first olives. They're showing that more olives are to come. They come first, they're the same type, but they're guaranteeing there's more. First, the first fruits, same, more. That's his point here. Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead. But whoever belonged to him, whoever trusted him, they will be bodily raised as well. Verse 21, Paul makes a comparison between Adam, the very first man, and Christ. Verse 21, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. General, or you could just say person. Um, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, each in turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. There's the history of the human race. The very first human being, Adam, he rejected God, rebelled against God. And death enters the world because of that. God says, look, you can't know, you can no longer live forever if you're rebelling against me. Jesus enters the world and all who, well, what's the language? It's not all without exception. Verse 21, it's all who are, excuse me, verse 22, all who are in Christ. Or verse 23, those who belong to him. All of them will be raised to eternal life. And then verses 24 to 28, we get the detail on what happens at the end of history. It's very dense, so I want to ask me about this uh, afterwards in Q&A. But verse 24, then the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority and power, spiritual forces. Uh, someone know the book of Ephesians talks a lot about these dominions, powers and authorities, devil, Satan, but the two most important ones, sin and death. 
Verse 25, for he, Jesus, must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he's put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything's been put under him, it's clear it doesn't include God himself who put everything under Christ. But here's the end of history. When he's done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, God the Father, who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Look, someone will ask me about the details of that afterwards. But the headline, Paul is condensing Psalm 110 and Psalm 8. He must reign, Jesus, until he puts all enemies under his feet. The point being Jesus is fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament. They come true in this new era. He'll subdue all his enemies. And eventually, verse 26, the last enemy, death. Even now, Jesus conquered death, but you and I have to experience it. Death, I think more about this next week on Easter Sunday, but death, it's a defeated enemy, but it is still a miserable enemy. Painful. Enduring death is horrible, I observe, in loved ones who have died. Painful. Tough. Uh, those amongst the congregation here uh, at the moment working in the ICU wards, care homes, seeing far more death than is common. It's hard. Death is a wretched enemy. And we still endure it, even though we'll overcome it in resurrection. But at the end, well, at the end, Jesus puts death under his feet. Wonderful. Our resurrection is guaranteed by Jesus. It's pre-authorised. It's undoubted. It's promised. It's initiated by him. It will happen. Those who belong to Christ will rise again to eternal life. And at the end of history, verse 28, God will be all in all. His reign is acknowledged by everyone, delighted in by everyone. So that's the positive. So negative, look, if Christ was not raised, your faith is useless, verses 12 to 19. But, 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 but Christ was raised, so resurrection is guaranteed. So here's the implication at the end, verses 29 to 34. Sober up and live for eternity. Paul gives four rhetorical questions. Look, the first two appear in verse 29, which is the most difficult verse in the whole of 1 Corinthians. You can ask me about it afterwards if you so desire, but uh, uh, we'll get to the main point. Verse 29, look, if there's no resurrection, four rhetorical questions. Here's the first two. What will those do who are baptised for the dead? Secondly, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? What's going on there? I don't know. Um, one commentary I read had 40 different options that people had suggested. I think probably most likely Paul is just acknowledging, not approving, but acknowledging of something they were doing in Corinth. They so wanted their relatives to be with them in eternity that they're being baptised for them after they've died. Well, Paul would never agree with that. Uh, we started to think last time, but you have to personally, individually take your stand upon Jesus Christ. No one else can do that for you. So you wouldn't approve of it. But he's just saying, observe, lots of people get baptised for dead relatives. Why? 
They must think there's some benefit, that there's some resurrection life, seems to be his logic. The other two questions are much easier to understand, and Paul makes them personal. Verse 30. As for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I think it's the royal we there, us. Why would I do that? He goes on, verse 31. I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ, Jesus our Lord. Look, just look, I want to say, look, I, I, this is so true. I'm sort of swearing by you who I boast in. That's sort of the sense of it, I think. But why would I expose myself to death every day? Why risk if there's no afterlife? Why would I stand up and preach this lie if there's no afterlife? It's pointless. Or verse 32 is the same idea, the last rhetorical question. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Probably not literally wild beasts, just fierce opposition, I think, here. But what's all that about? It's absolutely pointless. So here's the application of this whole passage, and if you've drifted away, here's the payoff, as it were. It comes at the end, verse of verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection life, be a hedonist. Why not? Spend all your life accumulating for now, drinking for now, enjoying now, experiencing now, because there's nothing else. Certainly don't waste your time coming to church on a Sunday or waste your time living the Christian life if there's no resurrection to come. Don't do it. Certainly don't suffer anything for being a Christian unless there's a resurrection to come. That would be pitiable. So don't do it, he says. However, there is a resurrection. He quotes one of the Rome philosophers or uh, Athenian philosopher, verse 33. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He's addressing the church and he's saying, look, church, don't spend time with Christians who corrupt you morally. Life is too short. And eternity is too long. And, and resurrection life is really what matters. So don't waste time getting drunk with other Christians. Just don't do that. Invest your life now for eternity. Verse 24, will you come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning? There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. I'm wanting to wake you up. Come back to your senses. The verb is used of sober up from your stupor. You've had too much to drink. You've fallen asleep. Now wake up. You get the sort of, in the films, the bucket of water and chuck it over someone. That's what Paul is doing here. Chucking a basket, a basket, chucking a bowl or a bucket of water over you to say, wake up. This life is not all there is. Resurrection is to come. So look, if you're watching this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, well, the passage is saying there is resurrection after death into a new world. And if you trust that Jesus has died and risen for you, you'll go there to be with him. Look, if you've never investigated it seriously, why not? Why has it taken a global pandemic to make you think, is there more to life than this? This is the best news ever. There is a world beyond this one. Death does not terminate it. You can be with all those you love in eternity. Wonderful. But secondly, look, if, if, secondly, if you are a Christian, 
Well, this future bodily resurrection, it does affect you, doesn't it? It must do. Paul is addressing Christians here and saying, will you wake up? Why are you still maintaining these patterns of sin in your life when life is so short and eternity so long? Why is the resurrection your resurrection? Why is it not affecting what you do here and now? Why not? Why not? So in lockdown at the moment, don't take stupid short-term decisions, but wake up, sober up. There is a resurrection to come. This world is short, eternity is forever. Live with your eyes on that. Your faith is not a waste of time. Living for Jesus Christ now is the most profitable way of living life. So take your stand on the resurrection and wake up and live for eternity. Let me pray as we finish. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that this is true. And pray that we would take our stand on the resurrection. For those of us who are Christians, we'd wake up from drifting through life and taking such silly short-term decisions. We would live for you. Look forward to your smile in heaven. Father, this is the most wonderful news that this world, however long we have in it, is not the end. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.